Hello, my name is Brendan Bigley. Hi, I'm Stephen Hilger. Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a video game podcast where two friends in different cities talk about, uh, well, video games. It's a video game podcast where we talk about video games, believe it or not. I like that different cities angle, though. That kind of adds a little bit of melodrama to the it. Twin Cities. The Twin City, actually. Hawthorne, well, New Jersey, and, and Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> you know, every, everyone talks about Minneapolis and St. Paul being the Twin Cities. It's yeah. really Hawthorne and yep. Chicago. <laughs> Brandon and I are both from Jersey originally, though, so that's sort of the the tragedy, the, the being torn apart. Uh, and and you also lived in Hawthorne for about one month while I lived here. I think you described it once as two ships passing in the night, which is maybe the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a lot of our friendship, I feel. Yeah. You were also a couple of grades below me. And yeah, true. Uh, we always like, like, hey, let's like hang out. And then I graduated. It's one of those classes. Oh, there's there's a video going around right now. I forget who it is, but I, I just saw it on YouTube and it has like millions of views. But it was this uh, it's this guy and he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, let, let's hang out sometime. Like, that'd be really great. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then they never hung out and they didn't really want to. <laughs> like, I feel I feel like we were like the weird exception to that. Yeah, like, I no, generally it, wanted to wanted to. Hang yeah, out. absolutely. And I think it worked out because we have this podcast. Now. Yeah, here we are talking about video games. Here we are. So we're still we're still in the process of figuring this whole thing out. Um, you know, but I, I think the general format that we landed on last week is probably pretty good or two weeks ago or whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Just talk about some news stuff. Talk about what we're playing. Uh, I think last last time I talked extensively about Hollow Knight, which I want to talk a little bit more about. Uh, yeah, but, please. But um, let's talk about some news stuff because because you still don't have a Nintendo Switch. Um, I don't. And I find myself falling deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the Nintendo Switch hole, yeah. which is weird because like when it came out, it was like, oh, Zelda's good, and then I finished Zelda, and then I waited three or four months, and then like Splatoon came out. Like, oh, okay, Splatoon is good. And then I waited like three or four months and then Mario came out. And now it's just like Switch game, Switch game, Switch game, Switch game. And I just kind of don't have the time to to (laughs) play all of it. Uh, But I haven't turned my PS4 on in, I don't know, a couple months probably because of the Switch. Uh, And as of yesterday, they just announced a game, which I've always like been kind of eyeing from the outset, but have not played because it felt dangerous, which is Warframe. Do you know about Warframe? I saw the headline, but I don't know what Warframe is. Please enlighten me. Yeah, so so Warframe is this game that a lot of people who played Destiny and did not like Destiny ended up jumping to, which is really interesting. So it's this free-to-play, like, space adventure game uh, that has a lot of gunplay in it, but is kind of an MMO. It's, like, more leaning towards the MMO side than Destiny ever did. Um, oh, interesting. So you create fire teams and all that kind of stuff, but it is really about, like... Uh, going through this story and leveling up and grinding and all that kind of like wow stuff, um, which I have never been super into. I've never really played MMOs on that scale, uh, with the exception of I think it was not Starbound, um, Wildstar, uh, which I oh which yeah, I, I remember you and Mercer were playing that. Yeah, play yeah. that briefly, uh, which was really interesting. And then there was a point when I did play WoW because they made the first twenty levels free, so I was like, oh whatever, I'll just play the first twenty levels of WoW and see what that feels like. Um, so I've done that. It was fine. But the idea of having a full ass free to play MMO on the Nintendo Switch that people even tangentially describe as Destiny esque, I think is maybe the most dangerous thing that has happened to me as a human <laughs> being um, in the past, uh, at least in the recent months. That's coming out. I, I think like 
It's it's by the team that uh, ported over Doom also and the Wolfenstein mm. games. So like, oh, cool. it's a really good team port wise. Yeah. Oh, I think Rocket League as well. They might have also done. I think that the Switch is slowly becoming the de facto console because of how much money everyone's making on it right now. Uh, yeah. so, so I think everyone is kind of scrambling to get their thing over to Switch. And I think Warframe is going to be a massive, massive, massive hit. They just had the they had an issue yesterday where they had um, half a million people try and log on to their servers at the same time uh, and, and all their servers collapse. And I can't even imagine what's going to happen when it launches <laughs> on Switch. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I feel like the Switch in all ways is like, you know, we always kind of talk about how the Wii U is kind of swinging in this, but I feel like this is what they wanted the Wii U to be in many ways. Because yeah. I remember when the Wii U launched, the launch titles were games that had come out on other systems previously, which was kind of weird, but it was sort of them being like, hey, I know the Wii couldn't play anything past like 2003 in terms of graphics, but yeah. now we can. Um but there were no like first party games really except for like Pikmin 3 and then they like slowly released them but like the Switch we have the really strong first party entries yeah we have really good third party support we have great indie you know indie games available and it's like the gimmick of the system is actually a selling point not something you have to like bear with yeah <laughs> you totally. know um i'm also looking at some of the uh art and designs from Warframe and I'm really into the space armor that's just being presented here. There's one that just looks like a bunch of roast beef with like vines all over it. <laughs> um, and it does remind me, um, you reminded me of Starbound earlier. And there was a race in Starbound that were like really cannibalistic, like flower plant people. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of that. And I'm, I'm very into that. Oh, I miss Starbound so much. Yeah, me too. That was a game that, like, I feel like never... I mean, I haven't played it in a while, so maybe it, it bounced back, but I feel like it kind of had a bit of a identity crisis in terms of, like, was it going to be Terraria? Was it going to be, like, a Metroidvania game? Yeah. I feel like when we went back to it a couple years ago and they had, like, relaunched the whole thing as, like, less survival and more of a, like, side-scrolling adventure game, I actually really liked that. Yeah. Um, you should try but, it now yeah yeah they have since gone back and like really fleshed it out from like a story perspective um oh cool and and just like an advancement perspective it is very very interesting so like there's there's like this big uh stargate that you can go to and you have to like unlock certain things on the stargate to activate it and i don't know what happens when you do that because i never got that far uh yeah there seems to be like a, a a linear progression to it even though it is still very much a like just kind of bounce around planets game which is yeah. Cool. No, I liked that. I mean, I, I remember when we played last, there was like a gate that took you to like a hub world base. And yeah. Quests. Yeah, that was really neat. Um, yeah, I just like I really I remember when we played with the, our group of friends, like being on another person's ship and just playing instruments like while it like Unbelievable. went into warp speed. Jim was like on the harp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so like I love when games like give you enough options that you can kind of find your fun in ways they may not have intended. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's what I really like about that game. I wonder if that's coming to Switch. I, I think Terraria has already been announced. I have never I was never really a Terraria person. The idea of Starbound kind of kind of jumped out more to me. If it's on Switch, I would I will definitely go back because that sounds like a perfect platform to play that game. Uh, Chucklefish wants to port all of its games to Switch. So I guess yeah. they, they at least want to. That's good. And they also then they do uh, 
Stardew Valley as they well. They did do Stardew Valley. Yeah, I was into that. They did uh, Stardew. They did uh, Wargroove, which I think is either out or coming out. That's like that Advance Wars kind of Fire Emblem-esque oh, game. Cool. I love Advance Wars and Fire Emblem. Yeah. And they're working on... Have you seen... Uh, I think... I forget what it's called. It, it's Have you seen that game that they're working on right now? It's kind of a Stardew Valley-esque game, but you are in a magic high school. <laughs> God damn it. I have to get it now. Like I don't know why. I just have to. It looks um, unbelievable. It is very much like a you're just enrolling in classes and like going to magic classes and I don't even know. That's amazing. It's kind of like it's a like simulation a, game where like you're a in. Hogwarts kind of yeah. Stardew Valley. That's going to be really fun. Yeah. I mean, there. It, I what I liked about Stardew Valley was there was this sort of weird undercurrent of magic realism to it. Like most of your day is like hearing about like oddly real problems of your neighbors mm-hmm. and then like doing crop maintenance and then randomly like a, a forest spirit would show up and be like <laughs> yeah and there's a wizard nearby so i guess it's always kind of been on the radar so they're probably just falling into that a bit um that's yeah. really cool yeah i'm excited to see that i like their stuff yeah i'm interested to see what that's going to look like in terms of actual like minute to minute gameplay like is it going to feel more like stardew valley where it's just like okay you do a day and there's only so much stuff you can do in a day and it's like okay i can maybe go to one class today and that's my day or like am i going to go to the library and like study i don't I know i don't know surprised. what the mechanics of that yeah i mean i feel like it might just solely based on like it being like in high school i feel like they could do a persona route where it's like i would love that you know you yeah, you have like you could spend time with certain people because they did that in Stardew Valley where you could get to know um, if you give them gifts enough, they open up to you. <laughs> yeah. kind of, like I remember like my my farm. I, I don't know why this is not a joke, but I just produced like a ton of mayonnaise. And for some reason, like, <laughs> everyone loved mayonnaise. So yeah. like, I made all my th- friends through mayonnaise in that game. What's um, what's interesting is I think like although the farm sim part of it, I think was. Um, what was definitely rewarding and 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 felt good uh, on the day to day, the stuff that I think people clinged on to, or the stuff that made that game travel as much as it did, was probably the relationship stuff. Yeah, you know, and and if you yeah. could double down on that and then put it in a in a setting that is like loosely based on a Harry Potter or the Magicians kind of thing, like that seems to me like a really it, it's almost like a game dev tycoon, like okay, pick two things and then make a game. And see how yeah. it sells. Like that's what it feels like. Yeah, and I think too, because like even though I loved the social stuff in Stardew Valley, like some of it felt a little incomplete. Like I feel like marriages were a little anticlimactic in yeah. that game. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they probably wanted to have like more continue. And also, what really kind of freaked me out was like after a year, all the like town events. The people say the same things. I'm like, yeah. oh no, is this a Groundhog Day simulator? Like this is scary. <laughs> Sometimes they change it up depending on like how well you know them, but I think yeah, if they wanted to focus on that, I would I would be so into that because it is a bit widespread in terms of like you have the farm stuff, you have the social stuff, you have um the cave exploring stuff, which was kind of fun. I love that personally. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. It definitely felt like uh an old school kind of roguelike almost. Mm-hmm. Um, your favorite game? Uh, what did I make you play that? It made you immersive play, and you both hated it. Um, it was the Sega Genesis game. Oh God, I don't even remember the name of it. Fatal Labyrinth. Fatal, Fatal Labyrinth. Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was rough. You were so polite about it. You're like, this game isn't good though. Like, you're, you're, you're just, you're just, this kind of sucks. Yeah, 
yeah. So, uh, can't win them all. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I, I'm excited for that game. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know really anything about it. I've only seen some stills of it, and I think they had like a very short trailer that kind of just like with some overhead shots of some of the some of the like classrooms and stuff. But sounds good. Sounds good. And if it's coming to Switch, I'm happy about it. And um, just to wrap it all back around, Warframe on Switch. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> I'm right. Excited Man, about we, it. we uh we like 180 hard from that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think it I think it makes sense. Like the Switch is very quickly becoming a thing that everyone wants to port their games to because. The amount yeah. of money to be made is like ridiculous. Um, I, I saw uh, Hollow Knight, I think, has made like a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money since it came out on Switch. Uh, way more than it had on PC, like, I think in its lifetime. So it came out on PC sometime last year, like early last year and sold a couple million copies and has already sold exactly that much on Switch um, in, I think, a month or two months. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, it, there's definitely, a, you know, at least from a financial perspective, there's so many reasons to want to be on the Switch. And I remember, actually, yesterday, for some reason, my friend was talking about, like, the highest grossing media franchises of all time. And in the top five, two of them are Nintendo-based. Really? Yeah. What would you guess number one is? Ooh. Uh, is, is number one a film franchise? Uh, number two is Star Wars, so I'll give you that. Oh, shit. Okay, that was going to be my number one guess. I thought it was going to be Harry Potter or Star Wars, but I was wrong. Number two is Star Wars. Harry Potter's actually number four. Wizarding World is number four. Whoa. Um, okay. What's number, what's number one? Oh, my God. Uh, if it's none of those, then I'm going to say it's, is it, is it like Mario? It's Pokemon. It's oh, Pokemon. shit. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, $59 billion revenue since oh my god uh, yeah and the thing is you have to account for what are they selling so you have the retail sales which made 50 billion mm-hmm. the card game which made 10 billion the mobile games uh the box office for the movies and then also the vhs and dvd sales so like wow. they have every medium covered basically in terms of like merchandise yeah um and then mario is number five uh right behind harry potter that's amazing um, yeah, I, that kind of blew my mind because I did not like. Obviously, I knew Pokemon was making a lot of money, but like to be the high, like worldwide, the biggest grossing media franchise ever. Yeah, is insane. I was just talking about this with someone else, but um, it's been really interesting watching as Nintendo's mobile strategy has kind of shifted over time. Specifically, I found or I found that like, okay, so they released. Uh, I think it was Mitomo or whatever it was. Uh, I. I loved Mitomo and I yeah. miss it with all my heart. So they, they had Mitomo and then they had uh, Super Mario Run and they had Fire Emblem Heroes and like, yeah, they're kind of branching out. Animal Crossing Pocket Camp is a thing now. And like every time one of these Nintendo games gets released on mobile, it's kind of a big deal. Like, oh, wow, they, they made a whole game. But the Pokemon company with a little bit of autonomy, I think, from Nintendo, like linked definitely, but like a little bit of autonomy has been doing this for years and years already. There have been a bunch of Pokemon games on mobile that have come out. In the past, I had that weird Magikarp. Did you play the Magikarp one? No, I haven't. What there's, is it? There's one where you're a Magikarp fisherman. That's like your job. Uh, oh and, you, and you have God. to catch Magikarp and then you have to raise them and then you have to put them in contests. And uh, some <laughs> where you can yet you have to see how high they jump when they use splash. That's like, yeah, that's like the whole conceit of the game. And sometimes if you splash too high, seagulls will come and snatch them out of the sky. And then you have to start from the beginning. Oh, my God. And it's like an it's like an incremental Game do like they that. ever evolve to Gyarados or no? I th- 
think they do. I didn't play it enough to get to that point. But yeah, like they've been doing that. They had Pokemon Shuffle, which was on the 3DS and uh, and mobile. They had uh, what is that new one? Pokemon Quest, which is kind of a similar thing. So it's like it's weird. But the Pokemon company has been like innovating and like kind of figuring out how to adapt to new formats for years and years and years and years. And it's only Nintendo proper that has recently kind of jumped on board to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Cause I mean, we haven't like, you know, Nintendo in under Nintendo proper has been the handheld like franchise, you yeah. know, they've never up until maybe now with the, uh, with the Eevee and Pikachu games, they haven't had like a standalone, you know, get full game on a system other than like, Pokemon Stadium or, or whatever, but those were codependent for the Game Boy games. Yeah. Unless you really liked Clefairy Says, like me. Um, I don't so. even know what that is. What is that? <laughs> it's a it's a mini game in the first Pokemon Stadium uh, where a Clefairy teacher, it's like a memory game where the Clefairy will like show a, a blackboard with uh-huh. arrows on it, and then you have to remember them, and if you get it wrong, you get hit with a hammer. <laughs> Wow, there's actually a lot of like the Pokemon Stadium mini games are like right up there with like the better Mario Party mini games. I, yeah. I would argue. Um, there's one where Chansey catches eggs. There's one where my the most like nightmarish like fever dream one is the Lickitung Sushi tournament. Yes, I do remember um, that one. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. That yeah, with the, <laughs> it has like the um the kind of like sushi conveyor belt thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And then if you eat the wasabi, they're like. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry to deafened anyone listening, but uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, it's really it just it, I just found that very interesting, and yeah, I'm really glad Switch is doing well because I I think like I don't really you know I don't have any kind of like never ending loyalty to like one game company, but I've always like I grew up in Nintendo. Nintendo is like my you know I I've always up until the Wii U I've always gotten the Nintendo system, so the Switch is like bringing me back, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was weird because I I growing up, I was a Sega Genesis person and then Sega obviously oh. just like fell by the wayside and it was like, oh, now I'm just kind of lost in, in the aether. Um, the aether, there you go. Wh- where do I go from here? And then ended up, I think the next thing I got after Sega Genesis was a PS2. Uh, so I, I have great... since gone back and played all the Nintendo games that I missed. Sure. You know, just but it's very interesting. Anyway, uh, what, what's up with you? How are you? Uh, I'm really, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really like, I had like a exclamation point inside my head of excitement when you brought up Sega because I don't know if I told you, my roommate recently got us a Sega Dreamcast. Oh man, um, what are you playing? Yeah, we just got Power Stone too. Um, I don't. Why, what is that? I have to you don't know Power Stone? I don't. Um, Wait, I have to look this up. Power Stone is, I would argue, sort of the prototype for super smash brothers because it's a oh four it's a four player fighting game or up to four players where you're in like an isometric view of a 3d environment and you don't knock each other off necessarily but the levels will like change and you might have to like climb a wall to avoid a hazard um and there are random items that pop up that you can use to fight each other um and the big thing is that there's a power stone where if you get three your character transforms so one of my favorite characters is this chef named Gormond, who, <laughs> once you get all the power stones, he becomes a dinosaur chef. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's just like, it oh is so over the top and fun. And like, it's very emblematic of just like, 
those like arcade games that would immediately catch your eye and you're like, Oh my God, like I got to play this, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, totally. that's, that's Dreamcast in a nutshell for me is like kind of a swan song to the arcade culture, at least in the U S right. I know it's more active elsewhere, but, um, so many good fighting games and, uh, just like, so yeah, we have power stone, um, power stone one is very hard to find. Although I think you could easily like burn dreamcast games, just partially why the system kind of didn't do super well financially really um, you could just like rip them and then burn them again depending on i forgot the exact uh hardware requirements but depending on the version of dreamcast you have you could like the, it would recognize blank cds as games so you could just go online and like oh, find them basically um i haven't done that myself because i kind of like having especially for a system like that i like the nostalgic value of having it but if a game is like you know hundreds of dollars i'm not going to do that i just learned recently that you can i i don't know if it's dreamcast games or if it's ps2 games but you can just take them and put them in your computer and then it reads them as cds and then you can just listen to the music tracks that's amazing yeah i remember that one of the selling points of playstation one was that it could play cds yeah um and then two you could play dvds on it i still watch dvds on my ps2 sometimes i don't know if that's cool or if that's pathetic but <laughs> i uh i do but anyway uh so yeah we have power stone 2 we have the first soul caliber which is really good oh um, man i love that yeah. game one and two are definitely the best and like yeah. i'm i'm again I, I brought it up i think in our last episode i'm one of like 10 people excited for six yeah uh even though like it doesn't it's not like there are things about it that are off-putting to me already, but I think it will be uh, at least fun to play, if not only for the character creator, so I can make some, you know, abominations that will fight each other. Mm-hmm. Power Stone. We also have Jet Set Radio or Jet oh Grind Radio, yeah. uh, which is like, I love that game so much. That, I think that was one of the first cell shaded games like, ever. Um, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Soundtrack is really good. It's just yeah. super fun. Um, and he my roommate got sonic adventure one which like i had played Sonic adventure two recently and i'm like you know these games like i don't know if they have aged super well um but he was really excited to play and he said this is like really like really corny like it's like it's like (laughs) he's like he's like it's almost unbearable um but uh yeah so that's what we have i want to get a shenmue because i feel like that's another dreamcast classic yeah i want to play those really bad i'm i'm waiting for them to maybe re-release them because i feel like that has to happen if they're making a third one you know yeah i also by extension of that i'd love to check out the yakuza games and i think they have a really good deal for yakuza zero on switch right now um oh, is that game on but, switch uh, i didn't even know that i think so yeah i that's what i saw that's what i mean in terms of uh my earlier point about what they wanted to do with the wii u was like i think they just said that witcher 3 yakuza 0 and like monster hunter world are all coming to the switch oh my god i didn't know monster hunter <laughs> world was coming to switch also yeah let me let me double check that i'm pretty sure i know i know monster hunter um generations i think is coming to switch which is like the last one they made for the 3ds which was like it it was a it was a combination of everyone's favorite stuff from all of the previous games which is very cool that's coming to switch and that that's gonna fuck me up when that game comes out okay so it's not for sure monster hunter is going to switch but i guess they were just teasing that in the article so i take that back um what else am i playing i actually just 
played the new Mario Tennis on the Switch. Oh, what do you think? I just played that for the first time. I had like the classic, um, I had the classic like Nintendo Switch commercial thing happen where I was at a 4th of July party, like in the backyard with a bunch of people. And one of my friends just broke out his Switch and turned on Mario Tennis and handed me a Joy-Con. It was like, oh, wow, we're we're just doing this. Uh, That was my introduction to that game. I, um, I enjoyed it. I think that I know a lot of people were wanting it to be just like the, uh, excuse me, Nintendo 64 Mario Tennis. Yeah. Which is like an uncharacteristically in-depth tennis game. There's a lot of like, you can get deep in that game. Um, and obviously it's like not realistic tennis, but it's, it, it stays into the context of tennis, whereas this game does not. Uh, and I, I've heard the description of that. It's more like a fighting game than mm-hmm. a tennis game. Yeah. Um. So the first round we did, we just played without um trick shots or uh, spe- uh, special shots or whatever the super moves are called. Yeah. Um. And I enjoyed that. I actually think that it does play more to the intention of the game with those moves because, like, without it, it feels like a kind of muted version of the original. Yeah. But with the moves, it, it kind of like makes more sense for what they're trying to go for. I played as Spike because I was like, who is Spike? Mm-hmm. And then I played as Yoshi and um, I got my ass kicked by Chain Chomp and Koopa Troopa, which I felt very ashamed of. Cause I'm like, I've never been threatened by these guys before. And now they're just <laughs> like kicking my ass at tennis. There is nothing um, better than Chain Chomp being added as a playable character, though. <laughs> yeah. Holding the tennis racket in its mouth is, I think, one of the funniest things Nintendo's ever done. I'm sure this joke has been made, but it does kind of feel like everyone who didn't make Smash Brothers like, I don't know, you want to play tennis? Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. Waluigi, Chain Shop, and Spike just at yeah. the court. Um, but yeah, it's super fun. I mean, it looks like it looks really nice. It, it's very fast and hectic. It's definitely a fun game to play with friends. So it, I think it's it succeeded on that front. I don't know if it holds up to the original, but you know, it's it's hard to compete with that. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of complaints. Uh, just about the lack of settings when you're playing with friends. Like it doesn't let you uh, choose, you know, what what I think score you're playing to and doesn't let you play with like just general tennis rules if you want to. Like you have to play the like Mario Tennis, Mario Tennis, where it's like <laughs> you either just have special moves turned on or off. But besides that, like you're not really allowed to change that much, um, which which I can understand. I think. You know, Nintendo wanted that game to be a little bit more esports centric and without those kinds of options. I don't know if that'll happen. Right. Because like if if you want it to be an esports game, you kind of have to have your like Fox Falco Final Destination no items. Yeah. Yeah. Thing happen. Uh, and it seems like it doesn't have it. But that said, like just playing it casually in a backyard and a Nintendo Switch advertisement come to life. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um I, I played as Waluigi, obviously, uh, sure. and and Rosalina, who are like my two favorite people in the Mario franchise. And uh, <laughs> they are the most like out there. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Like Rosalina is like this Kubrickian like space deity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Waluigi is like a guy that Wario met on the court. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, so I, I played as two of them. I, I found it really fun uh, after the first like match or two just like figuring out what the controls were because it was literally just like i got launched into it um but after i figured out how to play it was like oh yeah i i get the fighting game comparison to this i do get the kind of like back and forth blocking versus being offensive kind of side to things uh it it was fun it was good i i liked it i'm not gonna buy it personally i i didn't 
I didn't find a compelling reason to buy it because I also didn't get to try the single player. Maybe that's really good. But yeah, it it it, it was fun for a a backyard like bust out the switch kind of. I totally agree. I think I would have been a little disappointed if I was like more actively excited for this game. Yeah, but I enjoyed it for what it was worth. Right. Uh, I also got to play some VR. I played Super Hot in VR. Which was oh probably like, my god! Yeah, I have the love hate thing with VR because I think it's awesome, but I have a very big head, so it's kind of just hard to like feel comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, so was also, this um was this PSVR or was this a different one? Uh, this was through uh Steam. It was on on uh my friend's computer. So was so, it Oculus Rift or it was Oculus Vive? Rift then? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've I've done both. In fact, I actually really like the uh the PS4 um VR has like some like games that come with it that mm-hmm. I really like. The, yeah. Did you play the Job Simulator one? Oh yeah, it's amazing. That's so good. But yeah, I played Super Hot and the Oculus Rift, and it was awesome. And I also played Beat Saber, which I don't know if that's like a licensed game or not, because you for sure have lightsabers. Yeah. And they are from Star Wars. And uh, (laughs) it was really fun. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like user made levels that. Oh, interesting. That vary in like, how could I possibly do this kind of thing? Yeah. Um, There's a really good one for a baby uh, baby metal song that I enjoyed. Oh, nice. Um, that felt like the truest song to play that game to, just like over the top kind of, yeah. you know. Uh, just um, just to actually uh, jump in and explain for a second, Beat Saber is a game, it's a rhythm game where you have a lightsaber in each hand and you have, um, y- you have like notes coming at you that inform you uh, what way you're supposed to slice through the notes with the lightsabers. And, that, and that's how the rhythm game works. Also, Baby Metal is a J-pop heavy metal <laughs> fusion band that you uh-huh. should immediately listen to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, it felt it, it, <laughs> a lot of things fusing together in that moment in time. But mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I also did a Gorilla song, which was fun, more low key. Yeah, it was it was a blast. It, uh, I can't help but feel like in a different time, this would have been like the biggest game ever. Because I feel like, you know, back in, like, the rock band era of, like, that being, like, the definitive party game, Mm -hmm. if this existed, like, when motion controls were a new thing and, like, rhythm games were, like, hot, it would have been, like, this would have been huge. Now it's like, oh, this is pretty cool, (laughs) you know? What I do really like about it, I think it's kind of, that was the moment for me that solidified this idea that, like, okay, so in pre-PS1 and pre-N64, the art style was pixel art and then like ps1 and 64 you had like the the like uh polygonal kind of characters sure around right and those were like the aesthetics of that time and weirdly the aesthetic of vr has become like glowing neon with just like kind of transcendental uh wild (laughs) like acid trip backgrounds while you're like flying through space because you have like res infinite uh beat saber i think is a great example uh, super hot kind of falls into that a little bit yeah a little bit and uh what's what's the other one the phil fish one super hypercube i don't know if you've played that i haven't played that one um but that that's like uh you know that japanese game the wall where there's like a wall coming towards them and it has a hole in the shape of a person and that person has to stand yeah in, yeah. in that shape uh it's like that but tetris um so that's there's amazing. like a there's a wall coming towards you and you have to like kind of manipulate this block so it'll fit through the wall before it comes to you but you have because you're in VR you have to like look around the block and like figure out how it's going to fit through. But anyway, all of these games have this like strange kind of 
neon outline floating in a trippy space vibe <laughs> that I really appreciate. God. Thumper, I think, is another good one. I um, loved yeah. Rez. That's another Dreamcast. Oh, and Rez, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rez was a, a fantastic game. Uh, it doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. Yeah. It was actually the Smithsonian had a Games Are Art exhibit back mm-hmm. in like 2010. Yeah. And Rez, Rez and our favorite Oblivion, which we mm-hmm. have mentioned once per podcast, were both, <laughs> Contractually. Were both uh, in that in that um, yeah. exhibit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, Rez is a great game. I would love to play that in VR. Um, it's awesome. I, it's really great. I, same thing with like you and Mario Tennis. I don't know if I would buy VR for myself, but I always like playing it yeah. when, I'm, when I'm at a friend's place or whatnot. So I bought a PSVR. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I, I have a PSVR. Um, I bought it specifically to play Skyrim. Oh, nice. Because yeah. like I had I had purchased Skyrim on everything that Skyrim got released for, obviously, like <laughs> PS3 and then PC and, and um, PS4. I got the remaster. I have it on Switch. Uh, and then it came out on, in VR. And I was like, oh, this is actually the first time that this could be like a markedly different experience playing this game. Yeah. Um, and I think putting that headset on and wandering around that world is really compelling and really interesting. And it's the first time I think since maybe the first time I played it that I found myself getting like five to six to eight to 10 hours in. Uh, Whereas generally whenever I rebuy that game and I start playing it again, it's like, wait, I've done this already. Why did I buy this in VR? It feels like a different game. And I think that's really compelling. Anyway, you were talking about super hot. I want to talk to you about super hot because that game is (laughs) unbelievable. It was great. I mean, I love the uh, I love the idea of blocking bullets with your gun. Um, I don't know why that's funny to me, but like also, yeah, just the again, when we were talking earlier about like with the Magic High School uh, Stardew Valley game, like finding two things and just zeroing in on that. Like, so that's a great example of like this one mechanic, really. And Mm -hmm. it's just that done exceptionally well with like a weird kind of meta narrative that I that I enjoyed. Did you find yourself while playing the game getting like anxious and like, oh, yeah. sweaty and like, yeah. <laughs> I get, I feel that way with shooters in general, never mind mm-hmm. when I'm in there in virtual reality. Yeah. Uh, it definitely, um, it makes you feel so conscious of every movement. Right. And I think that that's something that like a lot of shooters miss nowadays. You get so desensitized to like the, I mean, you know, this is not to discredit the game, but when I play Overwatch, I feel nothing because it's just like it's this constant (laughs) sensory overload, you know, like everything. I mean, it's a beautiful game and I love the character design in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, But like in terms of the actual shooting, even though like it feels good, like every character like is fun to play as it's almost silly to compare the two because they're completely different games with different objectives. But being the only other shooter that I've actively played recently, I'm comparing them. And I think that super hot makes like the simplest actions that if they, they were outside this mechanic would feel kind of dry and makes right. you like realize how much goes into these like little interactions mm-hmm. um, and rewards like creative playing and thinking. So yeah, I, I found myself the, the more of that game that I played uh, in VR specifically because I, I had played it outside of VR and then I got to play it again in VR uh, and, and playing super hot in VR. I found myself weirdly almost forgetting 
or not really taking into account the idea of time only moves when you do. And yeah. when I was playing in VR, it was like, no, I have to do all of this in one fluid motion. Yeah. I can't stop and think about it, which is weird. I don't know why that happened. But like when I was in the game, I completely ignored that mechanical side of things and was just like, no, I'm going to John Wick my way through this whole thing. If it I can. felt more like I was playing it in slow motion than like things only move. Like I feel like playing it outside of VR, it almost feels more like a real time strategy. Yeah, where you're totally. Like, Whereas in, in VR, it's like, it's like literally like Neo, the Matrix, like, zzz, you yeah, know? Um, I can't believe I just referenced that, um, but I did. I think it's uh, an apt uh, comparison to make. Yeah. It's like that cool scene in that new movie, The Matrix, where uh, Neo <laughs> dodges bullets. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think um, I don't, I, I can't help but feel like VR will always sort of be a bit of a novelty, but I think that like a game like super hot really showcases what it could do, how it could change an experience. And I think that like, if more games are built for that, it could be a really cool, like addition to the medium. Yeah. So I'm into it. Uh, I'm kind of two minds about VR. Cause on one hand, I, I agree with you. I think right now and maybe for the foreseeable future, definitely it's in that novelty thing. Cause like you need to invest enough money in a rig that can run VR before you can even get the, th- like the headset for VR. You know what I mean? Like you have to have yeah. a PS4, which is your cheapest entry point to VR. I think at this point, like real VR, not like put your phone in a Google cardboard kind of situation. Right. Right. Uh, and, and try this thing. Um, so you need to like invest in the rig and then the headset and then the media to play on the rig through the headset. Like there's so many moving parts that I think it, it is very, um, it is very niche at the moment. I, I do foresee a place where like maybe it becomes a little bit more uh, a little bit more widely accepted. Weirdly, I think the thing that's going to come first is augmented reality. I think like that is an easier thing for people to wrap their heads around because there's an actual like utility to it. It's not about yeah. like, moving yourself from reality. It's about like making your reality better or more helpful. So like, oh, now I have these glasses that project my Google Maps directions on like the ground in front of me. You know, I can I can see the directions or I can see text messages coming in like things like that kind of make more sense to me. But, yeah, whereas VR is like going into a different world. And it's also yeah. like you're we're still in that kind of archaic virtual boy realm where we have this thing like strapped directly to our head. And yeah. like it doesn't hurt your vision because as far as your eyes can perceive, you're still looking into the distance. You're not like focusing mm-hmm. with one eye on a different like screen yeah. like the virtual boy. But it's still like I feel like once VR becomes more accessible, um, both in terms of money and in terms of hardware we may laugh at the like strap to the head kind of like hardware we have. Oh, now. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I can't believe that's going to be like lampooned in like five years. Yeah. Um, I will say just in terms of the, the current landscape of things that exist. So like I've used um, Google Daydream, which is like Google's thing where you shove a Google Pixel in there and like use it that way. Um, I use Google Cardboard and uh oculus i've tried i haven't tried the vive but i have also tried what's the new one? Oh, oculus go so oculus just made their own version of the oculus rift that is just like wireless thing that kind of like they put all the components of like the phone that you would normally slide in just in the actual device itself um so it is completely like free of wires and you don't need a rig and it kind of runs like very low-key things and i think still to this day the psvr is the most comfortable one because they did a thing that nobody else did, which was we're going to make it like so you're wearing a hat and, and the, the VR headset kind of just like folds down in front of your eyes yep. instead of we're strapping the screen to your face. <laughs> yeah, you're not um, wearing like 
you're not wearing like a camera on your eyes. Yeah, basically. exactly. Uh, but that's why I enjoyed Skyrim so much in PSVR because that's a game that you like will invest at. You talk, you actually talked about this in I think the E3 episode that we did. But like Skyrim is a game where you can pick up a bow and just walk in any direction for yeah you know, multiple hours. Like that works really well in PSVR because you don't even feel the headset on your face and you also appreciate the scale of the world you're walking around in in a way oh, that yeah. you never have before. I think like one of the one of my uh, biggest moments of like clarity playing that game in VR and thinking to myself, I made a good decision buying this giant stupid thing again was the first time I went into a cave that I had like I, I just like intimately knew from having played the game so many times, like one of the first ones, like when you're going down the path after the dragon attacks and like it's the first yeah, game you go yeah. into. I remember walking into that cave, always thinking of it as kind of like a small claustrophobic space that you kind of have to like weasel your way around into. And in VR, walking into that cave and looking up and seeing like, oh, no, this place is actually like six times my height. And like the statues (laughs) in here are like gigantic. Yeah. Uh, And and the guy that's shooting an arrow at me is actually really far away. And it's going to be really (laughs) hard to hit him from here. Like all of those things kind of uh, melding together made me appreciate that game in a way that I never have before solely because of the scale of it. I can imagine, too, the towns being a lot more like beautiful. And and oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always like uh, Markarth was always like my favorite, like architecturally. And Mm -hmm. I can imagine that in VR being like, wow, I'm in this weird, like golden city. Yeah, it's like really corrupt, but whatever. It's nice. Yeah. Um, What's what's the one on the on the cliff? It's not solitude um or is no, it solitude's on the cliff yeah it's the northwest uh on the giant yeah cliff. solitude is amazing i always like rift in too because i often play as like mm. a cd like gross thief character yeah. uh, i don't know if cd is the right word but i said it and rift in is just like the i always love when there's like the one town that's like this is where thieves hang out in case you yeah. haven't noticed it's awesome no it's great yeah. if, in vr too um the the quest when you're making your way into the thieves den for the first time and you have to go through the the sewers and stuff to get in there like that in vr does feel claustrophobic in the way that i had always kind of looked at the uh the cave systems as like that place is very um very stuffy and hard to get through on your way there i don't know vr is good the the reason that i picked up skyrim was like i didn't want to play a game like super hot or like uh, Super Hypercube or Beat Saber because those to me felt more like kind of glorified tech demos not to put those games down they're really fun and I enjoy them a lot but I really wanted VR specifically to experience a world uh, and to like transport myself elsewhere and yeah. I think Skyrim is weirdly the first the first really good use case for that scenario and yeah it's great you're, like you're absolutely lot. right because I feel like a lot of other VR games focus on using like your hands in ways of like picking things up and throwing them and like mm-hmm. the archery game on the Oculus Rift is really fun. But like, yeah, like you said, Skyrim is this visually immersive uh, yep. experience. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I, sh- I definitely want to check that out. Yeah. I may not come back from that. That's, that's sort of like I'm scared where it's like I may just stay. In, uh, yeah. Now, if we could do how terrifying would vr oblivion be <laughs> if we could if we can get this going 
I I mean, I want nothing more <laughs> to play a woman in VR. I think you know that. I, I like I just have a heart attack the minute like a NPC talks to you and it like zooms in on their face. Like, ah! They do a really smart thing in Skyrim where it actually just leaves the person wherever they are and then you just see the kind of menu float up next to them, which is really smart. Uh, they, they don't do the zoom in. I do. I am wondering, though. Uh, yep. Somebody put Oblivion uh, in Oculus Rift. Oh, my God. Uh, it's called Oblivion Tesseract VR. So, so it exists. It exists. I thought, I'd be, I thought I'd be more excited, but the initial Google results are not that great. Yeah, yeah. We can always dream of our of our Oblivion experience. <laughs> anyway, VR is fun. Oh, uh, uh, the one thing that I did want to say about VR before we wrap that up, the the secondary reason that I got a VR headset after Skyrim was weirdly. This is the thing that I've been most excited about. Uh, was the Hulu app? Oh, really? Yeah, Hulu in VR is unbelievable. Um, there's a there's a Netflix <laughs> app for VR. It's not on PSVR, but it's on some of the other services. But Hulu in VR, what they do is they basically give you an option of a bunch of different environments. So it's like, do you want an empty movie theater? Do you want like oh no way like a rooftop so cool. penthouse? Do you want a blow up projected screen on a beach? Do you want to just like be floating in a void? You can watch anything on Hulu in Sorry. any of those places. My my mind went to a new place with, with this revelation of like like oh like I've been really I've been binging Frasier in the void and I'm <laughs> enjoying <laughs> Yeah. Nothing, nothing goes with Frasier like existential space. Yeah. I, I watched um I actually I binge watched uh that Marvel show The Runaways. Have you heard of it? I know the comic very well. I haven't watched the show yet though. I've heard it's great. Yeah, so it's it's like uh for for people who maybe haven't seen or heard of it, it's kind of like the OC meets uh heroes. Actually, that's kind of that's kind of it. It's like the OC meets heroes. It's like a bunch of kids who uh get superpowers and they have to uh fight an evil. But anyway, I watched all of that in a penthouse in like the the rooftop penthouse thing in hulu vr and that location for that show really works well because all these kids are like super super wealthy so it's like oh right. i'm actually like kind of sitting in the penthouse uh that one of these kids might might live in and that's a, it's a really interesting experience because you so quickly forget where you are yeah and like at the time i didn't have the giant ass tv that i have now so it was like i was getting a better watching experience in vr than i would have in my own apartment and within the first like 10 minutes you kind of forget that you're wearing a vr headset and you're just yeah. kind of like wrapped up in the story and i think that makes it really compelling and interesting and i've been enjoying it a lot i've been enjoying watching things with that uh lens that's so interesting that like the because when you first said hulu and vr i just assumed that you would be like in your face watching the show <laughs> like being able to like look around it a bit but the idea that the simulation is like where you're watching it is so interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I want to watch The Runaways. I've I've only just started the comics because Brian K. Vaughn wrote them initially and mm-hmm. now it's a different writer and artist, but I'm into it. I recommend it. It's fun. It's a it's a fun binge. I, I watched it week to week, which was um like towards the end of it. Like I binge watched the first couple of episodes and then watched it week to week, uh, which was kind of a bummer. That's a show that like should just be watched all in one sitting or two sittings or whatever. Anyway. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I didn't have too much else going on. Um, the biggest things were uh, Dreamcast and VR. Um, a lot yeah. of like oddly retro arcade experiences happening. Yeah. Um, once I finally get a Switch, I feel like we'll be able to uh, to finally not be two ships passing anymore and, and go forward <laughs> yeah. into the future together. 
Although I hope I hope what happens is if I if I get a switch and I'm like you know switch sucks now like it's all about uh, <laughs> it's all about Xbox One these days you yeah know? yeah it's all about um, the portable Xbox that, that Phil Spencer released <laughs> I uh, yeah ne- next week I want to talk about Hollow Knight oh shit that's kind of <laughs> No, you know, no, the show, like, it, I can't wait to talk about Hollow Knight. I was like, yeah, you know, so The Runaways is a great series. No, and, uh, I, I, it, it, uh, when, once we got far enough in, it was like, th- this is a conversation that should happen a little bit later. And maybe, uh, maybe we'll wait until you have a Switch and, you, and you've played it. But, uh, mm, now, now that I finished that game, I will say, actually, one more thing that I, that I played that's really fun, uh, is Luminous got remastered mm. and released on the Switch. Uh, that was a game that came out for the PSP that I never played before, and it's amazing. So that's just a recommendation for anyone who's listening. If you have a Switch and you want a puzzle game that you can just drop ridiculous amounts of time into and play it while you're watching something else, uh, Luminous is a very good game for that. Anyway, uh, my name's Brendan Bigley. <laughs> Thanks for listening. My name's Stephen Hilger. <laughs> and, thank, and, and thank you even more. All right, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>